Hi everyone, it's Thursday, September 3rd, 2020. My interview today is with Nick Danier. Our discussion is a rugby global trek of experiences that ranges from Australia, Canada, and both the east and west coasts of the United States. Nick's knowledge of the game and formula for winning rugby and the growing and growing of the sport makes this a must listen for rugby enthusiasts. Stay tuned after the episode for some final thoughts. And as always, thanks for listening and enjoy. Nick, I know we spoke uh, last week. Uh, first of all, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on. Um, I know we spoke last week. We, we, we sort of touched on a lot of different topics and I, I would I was hoping that today and for the audience, we can get a little bit more in depth on some of the issues regarding rugby that we spoke about last week. So if we want to just start off with your introduction to rugby and maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, um, your information about your playing experience, and then uh, we can sort of go from there. All right. Well, it, uh, it started very early. As you no doubt know, I am Australian. So... Uh, <laughs> I have, uh, I have two brothers, one's a year older and one is a year younger, so we were quite uh, basically Irish triplets, so to speak. Right. Uh, and we got an early start. I was six years old when I first started playing rugby. Um, wow. I, played, uh, I played, I grew up in a, the capital of Australia, Canberra. Uh, I played for O'Connor. I'm trying to remember what we were called, but uh, we had white jerseys with a red V. So, um, started playing when I was six. I actually started a year earlier. I started playing for the under sevens. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm born in January, so I was quite young for, uh, for that team. But uh, my older brother was playing and my younger brother started playing soon after. I, I think we got started and I never really talked to my parents about this. My dad was a big tennis player, uh, big sportsman, lovely sports. Mom was not so much sporting, but she knew a few big sports stars back in the day, uh, one of which was a, a rugby player. And my mom is, uh, to the day, has probably seen more Australian test matches than most people, rugby test matches. <laughs> so she has been all over the world. She's been to Twickenham. She's been to uh, Frost. Um, obviously, she goes to the Sydney test every year. Um, and still goes. My, my brother, my younger brother, still goes with her these days. Um, my older brothers do. My brothers never really continued on the sport. I was sort of past about out of 12, 13. They kind of drifted off uh, to do other things. So I started early. Um, I played for, for Bill Conan for the first 10 years or so, or maybe a little less. I had to change teams at one point, which was quite, <laughs> quite a turmoil. Uh, we couldn't build a team, so I had to go play for the opposition, um, right. which, uh, which was ended up being my last year of junior rugby. I think it was the under-14s. So, uh, and along with that, we also played at school, also played at high school. Um, I played every sport I could. I also played tennis, cricket um, in the summer. Uh, tennis, obviously, because my dad. And then school starts, I think we first started playing in high school, so about 12 years old, we would have a high school team, uh, and then that flowed every year through that. So 
Um, so that was kind of my upbringing. I, I, I don't know that I loved it, but I kept playing. <laughs> um, right. I enjoy it. We won, we won a few premierships along the way. Um, right. I, I got to play in one of the representative teams to represent state. Uh, state small with the goal state. So I got to play with the other kids. And that's a really, and, and to me to the day, that's always been what I've really enjoyed the most about rugby is going to a team where you're playing with the guys that you play against. You know, so, you know, that was always, and, and, and that's one of the things we might touch on a little bit later. So that was my upbringing. I then went away to private school for a couple of years. Uh, schooling wasn't meshing that well with me. Um, and we, of course, that was a big rugby school. We had a very, you know, very competitive team when I was in year 11. Uh, not so much when I was in year 12. Um, and uh, yeah, had a good first year for them you know, in the first 15. Um, a lot of, there's a lot of, I'm not sure whether you know much about Australian rugby, but the first 15 in high school is the big thing. You know, it's like, it's like football, but there's only 15 guys. You know, so, yeah, you know, maybe a few more. So, right. but you're, you know, without, without going too much into it, you're, you know, you're, you're a big thing at school. To play when you were in year 11, to play with the, uh, with the first 15, was considered, there was only three of us, I think, from year 11, maybe four, playing in that first 15. So, but I was in a very small school. Uh, we only had 300 kids and half of them were girls. So. Okay. So that, that, was, that was kind of my intro to rugby. You know, that was really, obviously, there's more to that story, but if you want right. to, we touch on other things at that point. Yeah. Any other questions, sort of, along that line? Yeah. So your your intro to rugby was sort of like here in the states, intro to football or intro to baseball. I mean, you started really, really young, and uh, sort of stuck with it. And although you did say you played other sports, you know, you didn't just specialize in rugby, but that was your that was your passion, so to speak. Yeah. Well, that was that was my weekend sport. Okay. Um, okay. And obviously at high school, we have a rugby league team. We had an Aussie rules team. We had a soccer team, which I played on. I played on the, all the sort of high school teams, okay. you know, that I could. Um, right. And ended up, yeah, I did forget. I ended up having one season where I had dropped rugby. I think I was 15. And I dropped rugby for a year and I played soccer. Just for something, okay. you know. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and in the middle of that, it was, it was kind of, kind of, you know, funny because in the middle of that season, I had my appendix out, so I missed like six weeks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you could you could play soccer, so right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you could you could play soccer shortly after your appendix, but not rugby. <laughs> right. So this was this was um, when you talk about first fifteen, you're talking about union. You're talking about union, or are you talking about yeah, talking about yeah. union. So that where, is what where, they call. What do they, when did you, when did you realize that you sort of um, were able to, you know, sort of develop your skills a lot more and what, what you know, what, what, what was that turning point was sort of that pivot when you decided to take it to the next level? Because as I understand, you played some elite level rugby, some developmental sevens, national sevens. Yeah, rugby. yeah I think, I think Turning point for me was my when I went to private school. So I went as uh, year eleven, which is uh, so junior year, junior year. 
I went to the private school and to be accepted with the older kids and to be able to compete against national players. We were playing against kids that had played for Australia in, you know, under 18s. So I think that was, for me, that was, for me, that was a life changer. I had left school. I basically quit school. So, so to go away to a private school where, you know, the, the, the passion of the kids for rugby, it kind of, I think that was the, the real, you know, eye opener for me, not just in rugby, but in life in general, you know, I straightened out, I started getting good grades at school and I got myself into university, which I wouldn't have done had I stayed where I was. So, and I think rugby had a lot to do with that because I was kind of, I was always on the periphery of things, you know, I was never a part of a group. I just was part of friends with everybody and I liked rugby, but it, at the young age, it's not as it's not as social, obviously, as it is when you get older. But it's it's just another sport per se, and right. so I think that for me was the big change in my life and the way in which I approach things and the way I then said, okay, I'm now a rugby player. That's what I'm going to do. Right. And we gave, you know? it gave you that focus moving forward. Exactly. Yeah, it was a bit of a challenge when I got to university, and I was still only 140 pounds. <laughs> you didn't hit your growth spurt yet, right? <laughs> I hadn't really, I hadn't really grown. I grow, but I hadn't really developed. I mean, I was a fly half, a little bit of centers when I was at school, so that was I didn't have to. Right. Um, but when I when I got to, to college, it was like so. I I took a bit of a year off. I went and played stubbies, which is kind of like social rugby. Yeah. I had a buddy who was doing that, and that was great. That was a lot of fun, you know, and it wasn't very serious. And, you know, I was in university, so I was there to, you know, focus on universities too. So, but then after that year, I then went back and started playing for university, and that was kind of, you know, that was, that was the start of the whole momentum forward. So, so yeah, so just for the audience, um, maybe they're unaware of how it works. And, you know, so, you went, how many years did you play in university? Well, there is, uh, I was at university for three and a half years. I kind of glitched on a subject and I had to go back and repeat it. But the university team is not solely for university players. And we play in the senior grade of Sydney. In this case, it was the second division. I'm not sure whether you're familiar with Sydney Rugby Union, but teams like Randwick and Eastwood, uh, they play in the first grade. They would play in the first grade. And then the second grade was uh, obviously the next group of teams. But the university had a Colts program, which was under 21, which I played in for a season. Right. Uh, and then in my third year of university, I uh, started playing for the university. I, so I started playing grade rugby. So I was 21, maybe 22. Right. Um, 22. And so that was when I said, okay, I'm now going to play big boy rugby. You know, mm-hmm. where they're, you know, where it was, uh, were serious. And so my experiences with that were, I, I, I think it, 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 again, it was these sort of points in my life and my rugby development yeah. that I never saw coming. Right. <laughs> so I, 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 I never believed I was, you know, a top rugby player, but I thought I was good enough to compete. But what I was, was fit. I'd given up smoking. I, I really, had really got into running competitive running and I really wanted to be the fittest guy out there. And I was always, 
in my entire rugby career, I was always the second fittest. There was always just one <laughs> guy. That was yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that could run that. You know, you guys ever do the twelve minute laps? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I you definitely, know. I, I, I definitely, a lot, a lot of uh, comparisons. So you started at six. Yeah. You said you started playing great, uh, you know, when you were 20, 21, 20, you started playing, um, you know, grade, grade, A rugby. Great rugby, yeah. Yeah, I didn't start playing rugby until I was 20. So, yeah, well. so that differentiation there. And I was the same way. I was always, um, you know, I was never the most skilled guy on the field on any team I ever played for. But I don't yeah. think sure I was the fittest guy. So I think a lot of my fitness sort of matched for a long time my lack of skill. But it seems like you also had the skill to, to go with it. So when was it that you decided – where was that transition that happened where you started playing sevens as opposed well, to – Well, we – Australia didn't really play sevens. Okay. We didn't grow up playing sevens at all. That came when I moved to Canada. So that oh, was okay. kind of the next step. Yeah. Yeah. So – the, the, the preempt to the sort of the biggest, the biggest change in my rugby career happened that first year of grade rugby. I was, um, I was a known commodity. They knew I had played. I played first 15 at school and, you know, they were, they were keen to sort of see how I would fit in and all the rest of it. And I really didn't know. I, I played most of my junior rugby at fly half, but I'm pretty sure that nobody ever saw me as a fly half. Because I like to run with the ball, you know. I like to run with the ball. So I got to I got to university, and you know, I started practice. And we have a few trial games, and then I was playing. I think I started off at um, at uh, inside center in second grade, and uh, that was my first game, and that went okay. And then I played the next game. I think I might have come off injured, and then the third game. I, I had moved, I'd been moved to outside center. And I, I honestly, I didn't really feel that great. I didn't feel I played that well. So I get to practice and, uh, and the coach came up to me and the coach finally was, do you remember Simon point of him? The great Australian rugby player. The, I'm sorry, what was his, what was his name? He was, he was one of the best Australian rugby players ever. It was his brother was my coach at the time. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> Yeah, so we had some good, you know, we had some good rugby lineage there. So Andy came up to me at, you know, at practice on uh, on uh, on um, Tuesday night, and I'm like, oh God, here we go. I'm, you know, I'm gonna get down. I'm feeling a little down, and he says, "You're gonna be playing on the wing this weekend." And I went, oh, "That's, you know, that's next to, you know, you're off the team type thing." <laughs> yeah. And so I was feeling a little down, and then uh, and then Paul Emery, the first grade coach, came up to me and said, "Welcome to first grade." Wow. And I I really don't know how they saw that in me. Right. I don't know how they realized that I was really not as effective as an inside back as I was going to be on the wing, and that was a life changer because I played the next six seven years on the wing and right. played all my rep played all my rep top line representative rugby on the wing so right. wow which if i'd been adamant and said no i don't want to play on the wing I yeah 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 you know, so I they probably saw never something in you that you didn't see you know they saw something yeah. that you didn't see so that yeah so that's your versatility that, yeah so that was that was a great season we won and i actually you know amazingly i gave up drinking that year uh because i'd already had two years of heavy drinking at university and i said <laughs> 
if I'm going to play, I, that was what I meant. I was serious about it. I said, if I'm going to play top line rugby, I've got to be fit. I've got to be healthy. Right. And I said, I'm going to give, a, you know, as you can imagine, as, as everyone in America can imagine, their first two years of university, when you actually legally could drink, yeah. <laughs> you drink a lot. So I, I felt that that was the right thing to do. So I said, I'm not going to drink unless we win the championship. And we did. We had a fantastic team. I'm still in touch with the guys. Right. I was out with a couple of them um, uh, when I was in Australia a few years back. And we keep in touch. The guys, you know, funny stories always passing now. And it's been 40 yeah, yeah. years since we were 82. 80, uh, sorry, 80, 80, sorry, not 82, uh, 86. 86, we won the second division championship, which was a huge thing. Uh, my whole family was there, you know. Um, right. My dad actually, I never forget. Some of the moments you just never forget. My dad said to me, because I'm out on the wing, and he says to me, you haven't done anything yet. And next time I touched the ball, I scored a try. So I turned yeah. around and said, Dad, is that good enough? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. My dad is... My dad was very much like that, you know. He was, yeah. he was, he was not. He was not tough. My parents were divorced when I was fourteen or fifteen, so it was a little tough, you know, with yeah. that. But uh, they were always there, and you know, my mum would come and see me all the time. And I remember the game when I got uh, yeah. sin binned, and I was so embarrassed because my mum was there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but um, so yeah, so that uh, so then the next couple of years was a kind of was here, there, and everywhere. So I, I, we finished university and I decided to travel with a couple of mates. And so we went to Canada. And so I went to, uh, I went to one of the guys I knew um, at my, uh, at my uh, home club, uh, West in Canberra, where I grew up. That was kind of Belcon and sort of transposed into West. And I played a season there and I played, uh, I was in the ACT squad while I was there, the state squad while I was there. But, I went up to a, uh, one of the guys at the club I know had been to Canada, and I said, well, we're going over. Who's a good rugby team? And he said, oh, you got to play with the Merrill Lomas. So I went, okay, that's great. So we're in touch with them, and we, we reached out to those guys. And so fortunately, when I, I got to play my first game with them, I had nine Canadian internationals on my team. Oh, wow. so, yeah, so I was very lucky, you know, and I scored lots of tries. Not because I was any good, but because they were good. And they just go and touch the ball over the line, you know. <laughs> they were, and again, a fantastic bunch of guys. Really yeah. happy season. We won the championship. So, I, yeah, 24 years old and I've already won two championships, you know. Right. So, unfortunately, there weren't many after that. But there was other things I, uh, <laughs> I did. So, I spent a year in Canada. Then I came back to Australia. I did half a season. I played for the uni again for half a season. Uh, it was great. Then I moved back to Canada, and I basically stayed there for the next sort of seven years. So wow. living in Vancouver. And they, as I said, very lucky. Really good club. Really good group of guys. You know, I, I stayed. I lived in the clubhouse. I worked the bar. You wow. know, I cleaned up. And, uh, yeah, they took care of, you know, they took care of it. And I, you know, played six, seven years of first grade rugby until my knee got busted up, you know, ACL surgery when I was 29. So, yeah. And did, did manage to come back and play another season and had a few first grade games. But uh, right. we did. That was my last. That was a great. I, I ended up that year. Sorry, I'm digressing on the middle years. But that year I came back second grade. We went undefeated. I was playing. My coach was a good buddy of mine. And we won the championship. So I was pretty happy that I was playing in second grade that year. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But in, in the interim, I 
I, I qualified for, um, for a resident because I was married. So after, I think, three years of residency, you qualify as a Canadian, a permanent resident of Canada, which would qualify. Uh, so I spent two years in the, and, and along the way too, you asked about sevens, but along the way, there was great sevens. Every summer, we had Bellingham sevens. We had four or five other tournaments we would go to. Um, and I think I got on the radar because of sevens more than as a 15s player. So I got right. on the national team radar because of the sevens play. Right. I, I don't know that. I, I'm not really sure I should ask the guy that helped get me onto the squad. But because I was fit, and that was another thing, obviously, you know, they were very big on Canada. Their, their national program, we did trials, we did the beat test, we did push-ups, we did, so we ran, you know, we ran the mile, we ran the 40-meter sprint. They were big on fitness. Big on fitness, yeah. They, they were really, and again, that's changed so much because now that's just an assumed part of rugby, you know. Right. You don't even talk about it. You say to these kids, you want to play rugby, you got to be fit, you know. You can't, yeah. there's no BS anymore. You got to be fitter than the next guy. Because he's just as good as you, you know. Absolutely, so, yeah. yeah. It's the, nor the normal. So I got lucky. I got, you know, I got to, I got to go on tour with sevens, and I played, uh, I played. Um, I went to the Gala Shields uh, hundred year anniversary in Scotland, and wow. I got. And I'm not even sure what it is because it kept changing. But the, not the Canada team. I played in the Canada A team against the Japanese national team. So oh, wow. okay. I touched on it. It was later in my career. And, you know, it's, uh, but it was, it was so great to see, you know, guys from across Canada, the guys I play against, you know, every week, you know, some of them obviously are on that team. And that, that, that again was the pinnacle. And I think I've always said, you know, the pinnacle of my rugby was being on the field for a hawker. So <laughs> we, played, yeah. we played it, you know, I, I hate to say it cause it's New Zealand, but uh, the British Columbia, British Columbia played against uh, the future All Blacks. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think uh, the only one that there was a couple that went on to play for the All Blacks, but it's kind of a developmental team. Yeah. But you know, for us, that was the All Blacks. You know. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, all that. So. Yeah, and you know, it was. Uh, it was. I, I always think about it. You know, when playing and 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 my position as as a winger. You're solely on that field to score tries because that's all you're good for. You right. know, back in the day, you know, tackling wasn't as as intense as it is today. Right. You know, we didn't have the John Low moves when I was playing rugby on the wing. Right, right. You know, I was a pretty, you know, I'd grow and I was more 180, 185, but I was a big winger at the time. You know. Right. Um, and speed wise, you know, I was up there, you know, top 10%. I wasn't the fastest guy on the field, but I was, I think it, you know, a lot to do was just finding the try line, you know? Yeah. So, you now every, every team has every, seems like every international team has a, has a massive winger or two. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's changed. They're all over now. six, two. They're all like two twenty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they can run, <laughs> you know, they can run a fourth, you know, three friggin' forty. Yeah. 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 I think I cracked like yeah, I think I cracked five five seconds once, you know. I think I got four <laughs> nine on my yeah. resume. But it was the other the other thing too is I think back then, um, because particularly in Canada where again the kids don't start playing until high school, um, I think the fact that I could catch, 
you know, because I caught rugby balls all my life since I was right. six years old. Right. And I think that was another thing because I ended up, I played a lot of fullback too, you know, because on that sort of the kicking through, I could catch the ball, you know, whereas right. I remember two of my good buddies, Winston and, uh, and Courtney, two wingers who were, you know, 10 times faster than me, stronger than me, uh, but neither of them could catch. And they'll, They'll kill me if you ever play this to them. I'll probably. <laughs> they were both, you know, they were both. They'll, they'll argue to the day, but right. uh, they were both. Yeah, you know, I think uh, Courtney played a lot for Canada. I think Winston played a couple of times too. They're but good, good buddies, you know. And uh, I'll have a dig. I'll send them the podcast, and yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. But well, I feel like I really have... enjoyed. Yeah, I really enjoyed playing with players like that. You know. Where you could just offload the ball and they just fly, you know. So, yeah. You know, there are a lot of a lot of fun to two two guys that came to uh, came to the one it's like they they were there for the last couple of seasons I was there. So, yeah. you know, but, uh, as I said, still in touch with them, still uh, still hang out with them when I got to Vancouver. Good, really good guys. But um, you know, that's the thing being able to catch, and that's one of the things that you know when we get into the sort of coaching side of things. But the 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 kids don't know how to catch a ball yeah yeah they they don't know and you could see it even i've watched you know the the eagles play and the uncertainty of some of the players in catching that high ball you know where to position yourself what to do how to take it you yeah. know because it isn't a, it isn't something and then you get onto the other side of it and kicking <laughs> and jesus christ oh, right. i took the Maris i took the Maris boys out the whole back line they said go and kick and our fly half is our kick was the worst, you know. Our fullback right. could kick it. You know, everyone else is like this way, that way. We're in our stuff. Yeah, I feel like so that back line is just – Yeah, and as the game is progressing, you know, they're getting a lot more, lot more dynamic athletes. Like you said, you have to be able to – you have to be able to not just score tries. You have to be able to tackle. You have to be able to yeah. – you have to be able to think. I mean, you're the last line. You have to understand uh, spatially where you are in the field. And, and I think a lot of it is uh, very cerebral. Um, more, maybe you could speak to this more than I can. Um, but there's a lot of decision-making that goes on back there that people, if you're sort of a novice to the game, you don't realize how much decision-making is going on. Well, the way I approach it, and, and usually when I, when I talk to the kids for the first time, new group of kids, I talk to them for the first time, no matter whether they're 14, 18, 20 or 30. I say, guys, when you catch the rugby ball, you have three or five things that you can do and you have less than a second to decide which one to do to be successful. Exactly. Right. And right. that's what I say. You know, I say, guys, you have to be able to make that decision quickly so that if we're passing, you pass. If we're kicking, you kick. If you're running, you run. If you're, Absolutely. you know, if you're, if you're doing so... You know, so that's the way, and, and, and the advantage of playing at six years old is the motor skills of using a rugby ball, catching a rugby goal, ball, I just, you just, you just live it. You know? it's, just, yeah. it's just part of your life, you know? Right. So, yeah. you know, and I see these kids, you know, particularly when I was uh, coaching at Harvey, you know, I see these sort of 14-year-old freshmen, and they, they don't know how to catch the ball. <laughs> you know, they don't know how to pass the ball. And practice needs to be set up so that they can learn that skill because you can't do anything if you can't pass the ball, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I do sometimes get a little, you know, 
get a little chuffed at the forward coaches who were like, no, nah, you don't need to pass the ball. I'm going, everyone needs to pass the ball. James Slipper, the biggest, fattest prop that's played for Australia, can throw a spiral past 20 yards, you know? <laughs> because, right. because at some point, he has to do it, you know? Yeah, yeah <laughs> but, it's like those basic you know, skills. Yeah, basic skills. And so it's hard because you've got to balance, you know, you've got to balance at practice getting them through the motions of what they're going to do, but also doing the basics. And I've always said to myself and said to, you know, when I talk to people about coaching, I said, I'm a very basics coach. I try to just break it down into the skills that you have to know. And if you get those skills and you improve those skills, then the stuff that you want to know or you can get to know will come a little easier. And sometimes it takes a little bit more time and it takes commitment. You know, it takes commitment from the boys to, and the girls, you know, to, to keep moving ahead, you know, and moving forward with the same thing over and over again right? without, you know, without sort of drifting off the plan, which as you imagine, these kids, they always tend to. So, of course. you know, but, um, you know, my, a, a big change for me was, you know, in, in terms of that, I did when I was in Canada, while I was playing, I started to do a little bit of coaching and I ended up coaching, uh, the under 16s and then I ended up coaching Colts under 19s like they were in Canada. So right. I had a couple of years, I was an assistant coach and then I was a sort of co-head coach. Um, always believe in rugby coaching that you need a forwards and a backs coach and they stay separate, you know, they don't try and, they yeah, don't right. try and meddle in with each other's uh, learning process, you know, yeah. and, um, I, you know, I think James uh, Kimberly is, is, you know, it's why he asked me. He said, I, I don't know I don't know anything about the backs. <laughs> you know, I, I can't really do anything. And right. I said, that's great. Because I really, I, I know forward play, but I wouldn't know how to tell a prop how to, you know, back down in the scrum. So, well, it's part of being a coach, so, knowing what you know and then knowing what you don't know too, right? Yeah, and that's why I've, I've, I've really enjoyed the last couple of years because I've literally got to take the back line and that's what I work with. You know, right. so yeah, yeah. And I've done it in high school. I've done it at college and I've, I've obviously done it at Danbury, you know, and, yeah. and uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, Danbury, Danbury, I got to tell you, was the biggest challenge. And that's all I'm going to say about that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Great, great bunch of guys, you know, really good bunch of guys, but you know, we gotta, we gotta do some work there. So, you know, yeah. challenge. Um, I feel like, yeah. Um, and I feel like, and I've talked to other people about this, um, and I'm not, I'm by no means an X's, X's and O's coach. Uh, you know, I do have, obviously, my knowledge is in the forwards, because uh, that's where I spent a majority of my playing time. But um, I, I, I'm with you. I feel like basics is, uh, in any sport, especially rugby, basics is, you know, are, are, you know, sort of what needs to be ingrained, you know, before you move forward. You know, it's like before, putting the cart before the horse, you know, yeah. Um, but I, I definitely see that progression. And I see where USA Rugby is sort of lacking in some areas, as opposed to other other international teams, where you know you, you like you said, you get that decision making and you get those skills. You know, that's the difference. Like you know, you get the Damien McKenzies, and you know, you get the Johnny Mays, and you get guys like that who you know are you know they have once they do the basics there's 20 options that open up for them because their basics are so, are so great, you know, as opposed to 
maybe athletes in the States who don't spend as much time as they should on those basics and then their options are limited. Well, yeah, or, or specializing and having trouble doing something else. You know? right. So, I mean, when I moved to the States and I, I, I played in Canada until I was uh, 31, excuse me, 31 and I got, I had knee surgery. So I missed a year at 29, so 30. And then I came back and had one more season. I played in second grade and then I got a job opportunity down in California. Right. So I took that and I moved down to the States and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with rugby. Um, and uh, I ended up, I ended up, I, I decided I didn't want to play first grade. I said, no, nah, that's just, you know, let's just go find a second division team and see if they're any good. So I ended up uh, playing for Pasadena rugby club. Um, not really sure how I got in touch with them. I, my job was in Sherman Oaks. I don't know whether you know LA at all, but you know, Pasadena is not that far. You know, right. if you're driving, it's like four, four hours, but if you, uh, if you walk, it'll take you an hour. Um, so Pasadena was not that far away. So, but it was more personality. So I call up Pasadena and, uh, I run into a guy called Jim Kaminsky and uh, Jim's still friend to the day. I stayed with him and his lovely wife um, and their kids being in touch with them. Uh, he now works for the government doing some black ops thing somewhere. You know, <laughs> You're not allowed to talk about, right? <laughs> Ex-military guy, but Jim was, Jim was fantastic. He was, he was as good. And so I had a season with Pasadena and it was one of those years where it's not serious rugby. You know, it's a lot of fun. The kid, you know, we had some good players. We had some not so good players, you know. Right. So, and, and there, wasn't, there wasn't a huge amount of, the teams were all pretty friendly. There was one team that wasn't. They had like five South Africans and they were a bunch of dicks and they beat us like 80 nothing and were rubbing <laughs> Like, you know, come on, guys. We drove three hours to get here. It was, San, it was Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara. Okay. The and uh, they had a, uh, they had a, um, yeah, they had a, they had a, a Kiwi uh, flanker. And I actually turned up to Pasadena and I said, I'm a flanker. I said, I don't want to play in the back set anymore. So, <laughs> but, uh, you know, just because I wanted to do something different. So I, I wish, I honestly, I wished I'd done that earlier because I never, never played in the forwards. I played one game my entire life before I moved to, to America. You have to know how to tackle. Like you yeah. have to be able to tackle right. <laughs> and yeah. three tackles in a row. And I yeah. feel I actually became a better player because I could tackle. Right. <laughs> so, and I think that did me well for the couple of years I played in the States. But so I spent a year, I ended up uh, connecting men with Santa Monica. I played sevens for Santa Monica. We just missed out on the national championships. But again, great bunch of guys, met some really good people. Um, Another guy, Lou, uh, Lou Morenzi, who is a friend to that. And again, the personalities you meet in rugby. I call up, uh, I call up um, uh, one, of the, one of the big teams, Ombak or Belmont Shores, and they were just not very nice. So I call up Santa Monica, and, and Lou calls me back. And uh, we, I think we spent two hours on the phone the first time we talked. You know? sure. We just... You know, we uh, we just clicked, and we, you know, he was also. I think also he's a big tennis player, right? So he's sort of passion for tennis, and we ended up playing a lot of tennis together as well. But you know, right. he's just uh, yeah, friends for life, basically. It's just rugby. It's where you where you find these people. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll definitely attest to that. That's... Yeah, and then a few, you know, a job later, I I actually moved to New York, and uh, you know, get up, okay, I can play first right now. So 
change of, you know, change of heart. Like I was like, I didn't want to play rugby. And then I'm 34 years old. Oh, I can play first grade still. <laughs> right. Being a little cocky as I always was, you know, and I will admit to that, you know. Um, so I called up, um, I called up uh, Old Blue because they were the best team at the time, right. you know. And I said, I want to come out. And he says to me, well, what do I say? You know, I said, where do you play? And I said, oh, you know, a little bit of fly half. You know, I used to play. I didn't, I didn't tell him much about my rugby history. You know, I just was, you know, just, I don't even know. Because I'd been in, I'd been away from home for so long. My accent wasn't as, as thick. And I didn't think he realized I was even Australian. Right. So he said to me, well, we need a center. And he said, we need a big bulking center that can crash tackles. And well, that ain't me. And he sort of hung up the phone. <laughs> he said, if you'd like to come to practice, it's wherever. So my next call was to New York, and I ended up talking to Bruce McLean, uh, the coach in New York. You know, another fantastic rugby personality, you know. And Bruce just like, where you are, we'll come pick you up, you know. And then um, I, I was still, you know, trying to decide. And the All Blacks, uh, Wallabies, uh, Blood is Like Cup match was on. So Evan Durant in the city. And so I met the New York boys, and I'm a New Yorker for life now. I mean, you get drunk with these guys, stagger yeah. home, and, 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 and Australia won. So it was another, you know, great night. But I ended up playing a couple of seasons for New York, and uh, I, you know, I knew I was going to start coaching. And so in, in sort of while I was still playing, I was the assistant coach for the women's team. So, oh, okay. Yes, my first and uh, first and last year of coaching women. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so that's the we were talking about last week. Okay. Yeah, a lot of lot of fun. You know, they were they're a great bunch of girls. Some exceptional talent. I think there was one eagle on the team, Janine, maybe two. Uh, a couple of up and coming stars like the fly. There were two fly halves. One from uh, Radcliffe or Harvard, and one from Yale. Both had played on their. Both had played first grade. Both had played junior Eagles or whatever, you know. Right. And so they actually turned that team into national champions within sort of three or four years. You know? Right. So yeah, I remember that. The, the, that was a sort of a transitional year that I was coaching. But, you know, I did it. Uh, my buddy Drew Fortley was the head coach. He played on the men's team as well. So we ended up, uh, we ended up, um, you know, he asked me to come along and I, well, I wanted, I'm sure I, or I asked him. And it was, it was a lot of fun, but, I tell, you, I tell you something at all. They, 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 it's, it's a good, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. But the girls would always ask me, would always, would always ask me, why are we doing this drill? You know, what's it gonna do? So you, not only you had to tell them the drill, you have to explain to them. Well, this is gonna teach you how to do this. You know, right. which is a good thing. But as a coach, it's like, no, just do the drill. No. So you, <laughs> uh, yeah. I did. I did enjoy it, you know, and I ended up marrying a rugby player, um, Sarah, uh, my wife now, and two lovely boys. She played for New York. Right. Not the year I was coaching. I kept that separate. So right. uh, we met. We met uh, a, a year or two later, and um, so which is great. As I say to everybody, you, you, all rugby players need to marry a rugby player because I could sit all day Saturday and watch rugby, and no one's going to say a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that it's I get to, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was uh, that was great. And and, and my, my last, you know, my last playing memory was was so great. I got I was fortunate. I got to uh, I got to play uh, go to the ITTs with the with the North uh, Northeast. Um, and uh, a few of the guys I got to know the old blue guys and there was a couple of white plains guys and um, and a bunch of uh, Boston guys. And we went we went there. We were in the second. T 
air. And we had, uh, I think we had the army on the first day. No, we had uh, south southeast on the first day, and then the uh, the armed forces on the second day. Two of the hardest, toughest rugby games I've ever played in. I was 36 years old. I was playing scrum half because right. Chuck said you got Chuck the Dizzy and the, the old blue coach said you got an accent. You can play scrum half. Jeez, I do thanks a lot. <laughs> Yeah, so I just say, hey, listen, I can do it. You know, I went to the I went to the trials and uh, and, and and it was it was really a great way to end your rugby career. I really yeah. enjoyed New York, but just to go with these guys and play some good rugby, and I'll never forget. It's like armed forces game on the Sunday. You know, we play you as you know, you play the backup games. Yeah. We're sixty minutes in, and I'm like, Chuck, I'm done. I'm done. I cannot play anymore. <laughs> I am just. <laughs> Exhausted, and uh, as I said, we won both the games, which was great. So that was when I retired. I didn't play a lot of old boys. I didn't. I, I enjoyed it, but I didn't really see the need. I play sevens every year. I go to the sevens. You know, uh, my boy uh, Matt McCarthy, a famous rugby personality in New York, a good friend of mine, would you know call me every year. Come on, you got to play. I played last season too. You know, so uh, I played against the Danbury boys. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that was uh, um, Rashidi and uh, a few of the college kids, Derek and Jose. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We we got them in the first match I played in. So at that point, it was you know coaching, and it took took a little while to 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 figure it out because you know I got married shortly thereafter. Um, I was coaching at Harvey for a few years, just sort of when I could get there. Phil. Uh, Phil Lazaro, the coach up there, is an ex-university Albany guy. Right. And he started the program. And I'd heard about it. Someone said, oh, yeah, this, and we live, you know, you know where Harvey is? It's on yeah. 684. Yeah. 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 In Katana. Yeah. Just in Katana there. And so I turned up one day and I said, hey, you need some help. And I ended up sort of three years of sort of impromptu coaching. And then the boys were born and, you know, time just kind of went away. And I, I really didn't do too much. And then... You know, four years ago, I said, okay, I'm going to make a commitment to Because I really, I really loved it. And that's when I thought, you know, this is when sort of the seriousness of coaching for me came in. And I uh, went back to Harvey. I sort of did a half season and then I did a full season as a, a volunteer. So when I could. And then last year or the year before last, I was uh, paid. I was the assistant coach, the official assistant coach. And, um, yeah, so I, you know, really was enjoying that, you know, teaching yeah. the kids and, you know, taking these kids, you know, skinny little scrawny, you know, 14-year-olds that had never even seen a rugby ball before. I said, oh, I want to do this sport. I'm like, you're crazy. But um, there was a, a little story. I love to tell this story. It was at my first stint at Harvey. We had a good, we had a good team. We had two, uh, we had one USA uh, sort of, uh, high school player, um, and we had two or three more, you know, really good players. And we had a good season. And I go to practice once and, you know, I like, I prefer to have the whole team practice together. Right. You know, so you've got, you've got the 14-year-old kids and the 18-year-old kids just in the warm-up phase, just doing the drills because, you know, that. And so I turned up to practice a little late one day and they were doing the, I think they were doing the, um, they were just doing the lines. And there was this kid. You know, 15 years old, never seen a rugby ball before. And there were two seniors standing next to him, teaching him what he needed to do. Right. And I just went, what sport does that ever happen? 
you know. It doesn't in other sports. Yeah, what what sport can you can you see these kids? And one one of them, which was quite, which is why I really noticed it. One of these kids was a he was a uh, he was a um, a scholarship kid, so he was an inner city kid who'd had right. some trouble, you know. So he was a he was a, a bit of a hoodlum, you know, so to speak. He'd been sent to private school to sort of straighten himself out. You know, he's a good kid, but I could see that raw edge in him. Yeah. But just to see him and one of the other seniors just showing this kid how to pass, you know, where to put your hands to make that pass. I thought yeah. this is why I, I really enjoy rugby. So, you know, as I said, I, I kind of, you know, life got away from me and jobs and I never really, you know, I had about four or five years there where I didn't do much. I, I, I played the odd, you know, stabbings, but I basically sort of dropped out of the rugby life. Sarah still played. She went to the, she would be, have a team at sevens every year and she New York sevens and she'd go to Saranac every year, organize a team. Right. So I was always around rugby and I'd go see, you know, go watch when I could. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and we we started a little rugby program in town, you know, just to sort of, you know, rugby 101 for the young kids, you know, sort of six right. to 10 year olds. You know, we run that for about four or five years and we got some good attendance at some, some not so much. I mean, we did it once. It was like minus 10. We had seven kids out. So I kept them running for, you know, an hour just so we... Uh, we right. didn't get too cold, but uh, my boys got into it a little bit. They're not, you know, they're not, uh, they're not big. Uh, they weren't big on the rugby, you know. I think it's just like anything, you know. If your parents tell you to do something, you don't want to do it. So, right, of course. Yeah, but um, you know, so I just the reason I just got back from soccer practice before. They're both doing soccer, and they've tried a little football, and obviously they've tried a little touch rugby. But you know, having no, yeah, who knows? Maybe in the future they'll they'll get into it. You know. Yeah, maybe, you know, yeah. I think we'll see, you know, we'll see, uh, we'll see how it, you know, I think that's it. I think it's um, because my doctor and, and, you know, another rugby story, just a quick aside, my doctor, Dr. David Yazga, who's Katona, he's Katona Medical. Um, so I'm looking for, he's an orthopedic surgeon. And as you can imagine, as an ex-rugby player, you name the body part, <laughs> operated on, busted, you know, strained, pulled, you know, whatever. So I was having shoulder issues. Uh, it was, no, it was my knee. I, I had to have knee. I had to have, knew I had to have another knee surgery. So I went to one guy and didn't get a good fit. So I called Dr. Yasgar and we were talking and, and he was from Colombia. And I mentioned rugby. And he goes, I used to play rugby. And I went, you're my orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> so, right. and, and he understood, he understood the pain and the sort of mechanics of how you feel as a rugby player as how you feel as just a normal human being. Right. And so he did the surgery, just, uh, just had a little cartilage and sort of scraped out some of the uh, arthritis out of my knee. And so I went back to him, you know, a few years later, my shoulder uh, was hurting, tennis and everything yeah. was, was, was a little pain. He said, well, we could do surgery, but it's going to weaken it. And he said, how much pain are you really in? He said, can you live with the pain? And I went, of course I can live with the pain. And I said, well, we're not going to do surgery. But 99 times out of 100, that surgeon would have done the surgery. Yeah. You know? But he yeah. said to me, he goes, you, you don't really need it as long as you keep. And again, I know now because gyms are closed. I haven't been in my gym for six months. I yeah. can feel my shoulders and I need to do some work because I'm still playing two or three times, you know, tennis a week. So, right. um, 
you know, again, the rugby community of just knowing and trusting an individual because he played rugby. You know? Absolutely, and they're they're in all walks of life, and they they just they know the they know the grind, and they know yeah. they know the body. You know, they know. And you know, David David's a big guy. He's a big guy. You know, he's probably two twenty. You know, six one, six two. He's a big guy. But I think you know, he went to Columbia Medical School that has a rugby program, <laughs> and it's yeah. like. All of a sudden, one day, someone finally convinced him. He never played before. Someone convinced him to come out, and he loved it. You know, yeah. he that was a per, that's a perfect because they play the other medical schools, right? So they're right, not right. playing. You know, they're not playing. You know, they're playing the sort of the uh, the the the, uh, the nerdy rugby crew. You know, <laughs> so it's a, right. one of my boys. You know, he might end up. You know, he might end up doing the same thing. But um, you know, that's uh, that's a thing. But you know, you, you, you mentioned before rugby, USA rugby, and I, I, I sort of started off what I did. But when I when I first came to the US, it was it was brawn over brains, like right. brawn would win every time, like it was right. dumb rugby. And I, I will, and I know that's my opinion, and I'm sure people would disagree with me vehemently on that. But I did ask my uh, my new friend John Hinken, who's an eagle. I said. It's got worse, hasn't it, the last 20 years? And he said, yeah, it has, you know. Do you think it's gotten worse? It's got worse because we should because we should have advanced. We should have gone forward more right. in in the levels of the rugby. And I don't want to I don't want to say too much that that you know would will offend people, but I just think people have to look at themselves and go. Why are we making these decisions? Are we making it because it benefits me and my team, or are we making it because it benefits the rugby community? You know, we we need to start to look at it as a as a developing teams and developing individuals, and having a a tier one rugby program at high school and only allowing those players to go on to play for the USA team is completely wrong. There is a kid that's playing for, you know, a high school in Ohio that is a better rugby player than half those players on that USA team. I will guarantee it. So there's a lot of untapped talent out there. He doesn't get a chance because he doesn't get a chance because he, 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 you know, he um, He never gets seen by anybody. He doesn't so, play for the, the eight to 10 teams that are known throughout the country. Yeah. If he's not from Greenwich or Xavier or, or those, those, I don't right. know most of the, unfortunately, most of the California teams, but if you're not on one of those teams, you, you might get lucky. You know, you might get lucky, but, you know, and again, it even happens in college. It even happens in college. The college is even more fractured because it's all, it's all about the individual team. And there are players that need that need to play with better players in order to become better themselves. So we we need a mechanism. We need to implement a mech. This is what I'm saying. I I think it's got worse. I don't think the talent has got worse. I think that the structure and and the fact that we're still hovering at at 14 and 15 on the, you know, on the, on the, uh, the national 15s level. Seven is a different game. And I think we've done very well with that. But that has caused problems too, because all the money's being poured into that, and that only benefits twenty guys or twenty girls. You know, right. so you know, there's not a huge, 
there's no second level to that program. There's not a there's not a way in which you can develop into a good sales player. You either are and you get picked up, or you're not and they never look at you. You know. Right. So, so I, you know, I know there's going to be some USA rugby folks here. This and I'm happy to have a conversation with anybody about it. It's my opinion that we 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 could have done more, but we need to now start to think about with this whole restructure with USA rugby going into liquidation and NCR taking over. I think we need to we need to set up a, a broader scope of people involved in the process. So right. that it isn't the same individuals making the same decisions about how our kids are gonna play rugby. You know? Yeah. So and and figure out, I mean you know, I spent a lot of time on the phone with a, with a, with a friend of mine, Matt Prasanis, who has done an incredible job with New York High School Rugby. You know, keeping it together, keeping the, you know, the, the stadiums and the 40, you know, and trying to, trying to find the balance between the fact that you have a team that's 10 times better than anybody else, you know, and how they can fit into the program. But these kids... You know, sometimes there's a there's a representative team. Sometimes there isn't. Sometimes coaches won't go because it's not. You know, they want certain kids to be on it. You know, and so, you know, that's that's where I think we start. We really start need to pour all of the effort and all of the time into is when that kid's 14 years old and he starts playing rugby for his high school, which is pretty much the year you kind of start. Now we've got these junior programs, which are fantastic: Ridgefield, Aspertuck. Right. Right. You know, um, and I'm, you know, I'm going to try and, you know, I talked to Andrew about Andrew Lambeau about uh, Danbury. And I said, I think we need to support Richfield or Aspertuck and, and develop their programs rather than try and start another one, you know, but he was, he's trying to, he's trying to get the high school ticket. I think we need to figure out, I think the the missing link right now is, is how do we show that path for the 14 year old, uh, you know, boy or girl that wants to play rugby how they can get to the national team if they want to, or how that they can just enjoy socially playing rugby for the rest of their life. You it's know? funny that you, you, you mentioned that because I've, I've talked about this with several people, with, with Phil, with, with, you know, with, uh, with Dave Lime. I talked to him about that exact thing. What's, what's moving forward? What's, you know, what's the pathway? What's the pathway for not only coaching development, but what's the pathway for player development? I, I, I think you're right. I think, I think in the States, that is the missing link. Because I don't think, if you ask 10 different people in rugby, they'll, t- they'll give you 10 different explanations. I don't, I don't think people know. And like, like you said, because of the transitioning that's going on right now with, with, with rugby in general, um, I think um, now is more time than ever to sort of solidify that. Because you're right, I think we have the talent. We absolutely yeah. have the talent pool here. We have, we, we have the coaches here. Um, but it, it's just like, I don't think there's a clear path. And, and well, you, you know, I, I, I just had, you know, one, one thought when you mentioned about coaching and that's always been the issue, you know, it's, it's, it's a guy who, who played rugby when he was a kid and now he's a coach, you know, right. and maybe he doesn't know everything about it. So make the coaching certificate a, you have to have it. Make it easier to get and also make it easier to every month that, you know, at four o'clock on a Friday afternoon, we're going to have a round table on coaching high school rugby, you know, 
and we're yeah. all going to share ideas, share our drills, share our, you know, what we do. And, 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 and someone who's, you know, I've been coaching for a long time. Someone who's first year in coaching might hear about a drill that I do and go, oh, it's great. Yeah. Or effort by the governing bodies to improve the coaching, improve the standard of play, you know, unfortunately, which is, again, which is really deteriorated in New York, the, the referees, and not deteriorated in the, the standard, just in, in the difficulty of getting a referee, and there's not as many as there used to be, and, you know, yeah. and all things to somehow come up with a program to make, you know, being a high school rugby coach, get us, you know, to the first thing you have to do is you've got to have your level 200. So yeah. make it easy to get you know, every every high school coach should have some formal training, even if it's on freaking Zoom. You know, on a Zoom weekend, right, right. you know, in his goddamn backyard. You know, with <laughs> a few of his kids, as as those work out how you can start to get these coaches, you know, away from some of the, you know, the the, the mental issues of what happens when you're a rugby coach. You know, right. So. You know, so that they're making informed decisions rather than just, you know, this or that or whatever. Or, or how do I, you know, you, I, you know, I, I, I can't say, I can't say it out loud, but I had some, I've had some very different views on coaching than a few people I've worked with. And, 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 and sometimes I felt it was, you, you're asking these boys to do too much. They're right. not ready to do that level at practice so but you know and that's the thing and some coaches will, will have you know we did it i mean when we used to play it at you know at, at, at university we have scrimmages you know and you get to see your rugby and you you know i remember my uh, one of my uh, buddies who played for, played for western province in south africa he said you play the match on the weekend you take your steroids on sunday you turn up for practice on tuesday and you play probable probables versus possibles and it was a full match you know, <laughs> yeah, right. each, and then they they let you warm down, and the coaches would make the decisions on who the team was going to be for the weekend. Right, you right. know, and uh, you know, they're back in the dark days of South. I know it's changed dramatically since. Yeah, then. but they uh, they uh, they were that that was that was serious rugby. They would play a game on Tuesday night to decide who was going to play. You know, at uh, at this, edit that one out, please, Rob. Don't put that in. My my jive about the uh, about the South Africans. So, <laughs> um, yeah, please. I don't want to offend anybody, but you know. So you know, and that's that's the mentality of the coaching is is if you try to push the kids too hard, you may right. lose them. You know, if you right. tell them to go run ten laps because they screwed up, they're not going to be in practice next week. You know, right. so you need to balance between discipline, which is hugely important in rugby. And doing what you're told because that's how you become better. You know, as you, as everybody knows, there's a time for flair in rugby, and it's on the field when you've got the ball and you just do it. You know, yeah. You don't want to do that in practice. You want the, you want the passing to be crisp. You want the timing to be right. You want everything to be done so that if yeah. there is a, you know, a bobble or something else, then you, you can wing it. But those are the things with the coaches. So you work on that. You also work on it, and they've done this, and I know they have work on a better you know, a better recruiting system for the referees, make it more attractive. I mean, somebody said to me, they pay them, 
you know, 100 bucks for a match or something. Yeah. You know, you pay these referees 150 bucks a match or 200 bucks a match. They're going to come out every weekend. You know, yeah. the yeah. hockey guys. My buddy's a hockey coach. He said he could he could make you know what was it four five hundred bucks a weekend coaching right. hockey, refereeing hockey. Right. You know. Yeah. So, he'd yeah. have to do a, you know three or four games. Yeah. But he said he said it wasn't that bad. He loves hockey. You know. He said uh, I enjoy doing it. You know. It's just high school. Yeah. High school hockey, you know, give so, people the incentive to get to take those referee courses, you know. Yeah, because you know it was never for me. It was never for me. I've I've always been anti-referee, you know, from day one. So, <laughs> um, you know, I got I got Sinbin once for saying to the ref, "Why don't you just give him a fucking try?" You know. So, <laughs> you got Sinbin for that. Sinbin, you know, I said, "Thanks." <laughs> we get slaughtered. We're getting slaughtered 65 nothing, and you're calling me back for something really stupid. You know? Right, right, right. Like, it was up at, at Saranac, and I was like, yeah. I lost it. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, those, those are the things. You know, I know that there are building blocks. I've seen those building blocks. You know, I've, I've, I've been to, you know, I've been back to, um, to rugby practices in Australia at high, the high school level. I've seen the teams that tour. You know, my uh, one of my good friends who actually came to Canada with me when I first went, uh, he was the sports master at Riverview, one of the biggest rugby schools in Australia. And just the level of professionalism at the high school is incredible, you know, yeah. and the discipline and the desire for these, you know, third and fourth grade kids to try and get up, you know, to the next grade. You know, yeah. there are... There were stories, you know, back in the day, Joey's, which was always a big rugby school. Another friend of mine was Joey's boy. You know, there were stories about, you know, they would have 12 or 13, you know, rugby teams, you know, in the, in the, at the senior level because every kid played rugby, you know. Yeah. That kind of dropped off. Basketball became popular. And, you know, and I always tell the story, you know, it was uh, one of the old uh, Australian hookers, the, the Wallaby hooker, um, played at Joey's and he was like in the seventh team. He was the seventh best hooker at Joey's and he went on to play for Australia. You know, amazing. Yeah. That may be, that may be an old wives tale, but it's always a good, you know, it doesn't matter where you are at high school. You know, yeah. again, I was 140, 145 when I graduated high school within a couple yeah. of years, I put on, you know, 20, 30 pounds filled right. out, you know, most of it was beer, but filled out, got fit, got healthy. And, and again, you, you, you sort of can move on to that next level, but yeah. I don't know that there's a silver bullet answer to that question. It's right. how do you improve it? You know, how do you, you know, I'm really impressed to see, you know, I was watching Sale play and AJ McGinty was the fly half for Sale. Right. You know, had his little, had, had his little American flag on his, uh, right. on his chest. I thought, I thought that was a good time. He's playing with uh, Fafka Clerk and Scrum Half. I mean, how good are you going to get when you've got one of the best Scrum Halves in the world playing? Yeah. You know, how's that for your confidence, for your ability? And look at him. I mean, he's look at him. He's what five eight, you know? Yeah, he's tiny. He's yeah, tiny. but he's looking. He's a, he's just so dynamic, you know. So that yeah. But you know that was that was always the thing, you know. And I think that was the other thing that was missing a little bit with with USA Rugby development was um, was only one Chris. Uh, what's the winger's name? Only one. American really made it in, in UK rugby. So there were a couple that played in from France. Old Blue. Wasn't he from Old Blue? Um, uh, was he from Old Blue? Yeah. I thought he was from uh, I thought he was from out west, but sorry. 
his last uh, name escapes me, but I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so you know, when he's been he just retired. You know, yeah. he's been a, he's been a he's been what you know what should have been the aspirations for any decent rugby player. Although yeah. I would never want to go and play in the UK. We thought about it. My buddy had gone over for a season and said it was just crap. They were so prejudiced against outsiders. Really? You know, it was a huge... Yeah, he said, you know, he was... Johnny was a good buddy of mine with the high school together. He was our best player on our team. He was, I think, uh, he was fullback for us, but he was also a good fly half. So he goes to uh, one of the London teams playing in, uh, playing in second division in London, second, second division. Right. And uh, he couldn't crack the first team. And I'm going, why not? He said, because there's the hierarchy. You know, the guys yeah. that have played for the club, you know, they, there's a feeder school that then goes to the club. And, you know, and so he just, he said, and he turned me off playing in the UK. You know, I was, we were close to going because uh, my buddy who was uh, Andy, who we traveled, who I traveled with originally, he was a, uh, he was a really good cricketer. And right. so he wanted to go over for our year, you know, our year of traveling. He wanted right. to play cricket. And I was going to play cricket for the same club, just at a you know lower level. And he was going to play rugby, which he did at the Merrillomans. He ended up playing rugby with us and starring in the Merrillomans cricket team. But yeah, we were. I just said, you know, when we when we sort of met up, I just said, listen, we're not going to the UK because it sucks. <laughs> you know, they're all English. You know, so. right. uh, I am. I am. I am. You know, I've I started really to embrace. You know, we grew up, as you can imagine, not liking the English little aside on that. I'm from right. Yorkshire. My family's from Yorkshire. And learning about your history and right. learning about the fact that we owned, the family owned the York Arms pub. You know? right. and, and, and seeing the gravestones, it does make it, it does make that heritage more important to you. And now I, I fully embrace the fact that I'm a Yorkshire boy, you know, and uh, right. they're pretty good sportsmen. So I think we got the good lineage there. You know? so, <laughs> there you go. My mom's, my mum's side of the family is from, uh, is from Yorkshire. So we've had a chance. My brother lived up there for a year. So we've been up there a couple of times. And, and we've also you know, traveled. My wife and I have traveled up there. So. Right. But, uh, you know, that's the, you know that's, the, that's the interesting part of just the side from rugby is just sort of your heritage. And my boys are American, you know, full-on American. But they're also Australian. They've been there a couple of times. You know, they're also English when it goes way right. back, you know. They're also yeah. part of that line. So, yeah. you know, we'll see if they ever embrace uh, the fact that, you know, our, our, our forefathers owned a pub, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah. Right. So, well, they have they have a mother and a father who both played rugby at a pretty high level, so. Yeah, well, we'll, you know, we will, uh, we will see. So, you know, getting back, getting back to the coaching, you know, I, I want to, sorry, before we get back to the coaching, let's just touch a little bit on your story. I want to be more involved. I, unfortunately, I just started a new job, so I'm not going to have as much time as I thought I would. But I'm not doing anything right now. Mars is closed down. West Con is closed down. Danbury, I'm not really the coach. I'm just to turn up and help out when I can, and you know, and that. So I, I, I'd like to have a, if if someone wants to call me and say, hey, listen, we like what you said. What do you want to do? What do you think we can do? I'd happily have that conversation. You know, yeah. I think. I honestly believe, and I'm sitting there today. This is why I, why I am passionate about it. So I'm sitting there at soccer practice today, and talking to my buddy and his kids out there playing with the boys, and and uh, and Mikey plays soccer, but he doesn't hadn't played anything else. And he's a tough little kid. I've seen him play. I know him. He's a few years younger than the boys. And 
So I said to his dad, I said, well, you know, turn him into a rugby player. <laughs> so, right. you know, and, but there is no way that's ever going to happen. He started playing the cross, which is going to pull him away from rugby. You know, right. that's our biggest competitor. Football is not competition at all. It's lacrosse. That's where the good athletes are going. That's, and they have, you know, Lewisboro has one of the best programs in the area. Yeah, um, they're, 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 they, they have for a long time. Yeah, yep. they just sent, you know, they just sent, and I, I, I like, I'm good, you know, one of my, uh, you know, one of my, uh, one of the teachers who I've got to know quite well, he's a good lacrosse coach. And I personally don't like the sport, but I think it turns you into really good athlete. It's very much a teamwork. It's very much, very similar to rugby in the way you've got to run and the way you have to do things. But it's, you know, and the, again, John Jay, are incredible. They just sent, you know, they, they just played the national championships in the boys and the girls teams last year. You know, two right. years ago. So, yeah, yeah, they had two. They had uh, twins that were very, very good uh, athletes now going to Fairfield, Fairfield University to, uh, to play. But, you know, that's the thing. It's tough because we lose these kids at that early age to other sports because we don't have a program. Ridgefield right. has started their under-10s. And I think if we could get enough interest and we could start to funnel a few kids up there, because I know there are kids in this town. There's, a, there's an English uh, guy. He's got two twins. He's got twins as well. And they're both good rugby players. They came out to my little camp. They want to play. They're going to hopefully end up at Harvey uh, next year. And a few of the John Jay players are playing at Harvey. But again, they've got to wait till they're 14, 15 years old. We've got to somehow figure out how to get more kids playing rugby at 10 years old. Because then we're going to teach them the basics. So when they get to 15, then you teach them the skill. Right. Then you're not worried about how they pass. You're not worried about that they can't kick the ball. You're not worried that they can't catch. All you got to do is go out there and say, you need to time your run so you hit the ball at this point in time as you go past the next player. So, you know, that's... That's the, uh, that's the, um, you know, that's what I, where I think we're, we're failing the sport is, is that we're not, the emphasis is not on getting, you know, getting these players at a young enough age. But if you, if you also take that philosophy that, you know, you've got to, you've got to work with what you've got. So you get your 14, 15 year old kids, you know, then it comes back to, you've got to have a good college that's teaching them the basics. And they go through that step, then they get to college. Most college coach, coaches now are, I don't say professional, but steady professional coaches. You know, they've done training, they've done, you know, uh, James has got his 300, I've got my 200. I should have my 300, but I kind of screwed up on getting that. I, there was a weekend in New Mexico where one of my buddies lives, you know, I could have gone stay with him and done this camp, you know, for the weekend, and I kind of balked on it. Um, yeah, so so then you get to the college, but you know I'm finding having been part of the tri now being part of the tri state with Marist and Westcon actually moved over. They moved over to Marist Conference. Uh, they've been playing in the new the New England Conference, and that was you know pretty well run, pretty committed guys. You know, uh, Dave the the organizer. I chatted with him a few times, and they were very efficient, and and that's good to see. You know, because you can't have. And this is where I worry a little bit with all this sort of mix-up and NCR and who's running what. And, right. you know, is that going to affect this sort of... We've now developed a nice formula for these kids to play. My suggestion would be, at the end of the season, the Tri-State 
uh, picks of 15 and the New England picks of 15 and they play each other, you know? Right. And maybe they have two picks. You know, maybe you have 40 kids, you know? 40 boys right. and 40 girls to play an interconference game, you know, with the select team. Right. You know? So, and, and there are various ways in which you could do that from, you know, having somebody you know, raise, raise a little bit of money, which you could do, you know, have somebody paid to go to every game, as many games as they can, see each team play at least twice and, and invite, you know, 50 guys to a camp, 50 girls to a camp, right. you know, and then pick the best team, you know, or you have, you ask the coaches, you know, I, you know, we're, we're putting together a depth chart, you know, who are your best players, you know, yeah. let's, you know, tell us, you know, we, we've got two flankers who are really good, you know, do you have a flanker? You know, we've got a great prop. So you sort of, you, you put together a matrix of and get representation from all of the teams, you know, and, and, and somehow, because they're the, they're the types of things that, you know, getting for, for a college, again, at any level, at any age, the most fun is traveling, you know, is going somewhere and playing yeah. rugby, you know, except yeah. when it's nine hours in a bus, <laughs> you know, and it's, <laughs> then it's like, oh, I don't know for that. You know, but those, you know, those are the things. So I think, I think from what I've seen, the structure of college rugby, the two conferences I've been involved with is very good, very efficient. Uh, Tony Brown up at Vassar runs the uh, tri-state, runs it very well, you know, um, really, really passionate, really passionate rugby, uh, rugby guy. If you haven't, honestly, if you want to, if you want someone, if you want me to, you know, to reach out to Tony, he's an English guy. Yeah, um, yeah, I would definitely be up for uh, he, ex wasp, ex wasp guy, I believe. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I don't think we got too much into his his yeah, yeah. wasp, but yeah, Tony's yeah. I I just I love you know we sat down, I was sitting outside one day, and I called him about just about some some technical thing. We ended up talking for like an hour and a half. You know? Yeah, right, so yeah. We get lost in these rugby conversations, which uh, yeah. which I find it hard. But yeah, he'd be another. As I said, he'd be another. And, um, you know, some of the other, uh, there's a, you know, a bunch of other guys around. But, yeah, Tony would be a good guy to, to, to talk to because we, we, we share the same sort of sentiment, you know, both having come from junior programs where you've got that early, you know, early sort of ABCs and then you move on as you yeah. go. So, you know, so the future, you know, the future for me, I just, I, I, I really enjoy coaching. Westcon was a, was a challenge. We only had, you know, eight kids and, you know, we, we managed to get a few games and I was pretty happy. We got a, you know, a couple of Mars kids to come over and we played a game against uh, Southern Connecticut. You know, we lost, but we scored a try. You know? So, very, very I think the boys had, you know, the boys had fun and I think they enjoyed it. You know, they've got a bit of a changing of the guard. Derek and Jose are, are moving on and and um, I've got uh, George and I think Scott Newdick is, is taking over. I've not... Obviously, this year it's a wash. There'll be no, there'll be no. Right. Yeah. No, if we get something going, and I've told them, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be an official coach for them, uh, not a paid coach anymore. I told them if they need some help with sevens, you know, let's, uh, let's do it. But my other suggestion was, and this is what I'm trying to work out with Tony, is, you know, when we get back, how do we organise everything? You know, how do we right. get some, some proper fifteens games? You know, do we have do we just have weekend tournaments? You know, one weekend we're at William Patterson, you know, all six teams, and we all play, you know, round robins, you know, for two days. 
right. we do that at Marist, we do that at you know at uh, at Rhode Island, you know. So we so we have we organize or do we try and have a season, you know? So yeah, that's going to be a challenge. I mean, you know, moving forward. Yeah, but I think because, people are chopping every bit at this point. Well, people want to people want to play, so I think they're going to make it happen regardless. Might be yeah. a, well, the, the, only, the only issue is what's that. It might, might take a little while, but um, you said the only... Well, I think the only issue is all these seven tournaments that are already structured and in place. Right. You know, I don't think these kids are going to want to play sevens. I think they're going to want to play 15s. Right. You know? So I think it might be a year where some of these sevens tournaments take a bit of a hit too, you know, because right. these kids want to, you know, they want to they win the Tri-State. You know, we were so close last year. You know, even though there's nothing to move on to, because they cancel all the nationals, but yeah. just to win the tri-state, you know. Right. Um, but again, we, we we don't know what the team's going to be. We, you know, we, we won't get to recruit the freshmen. You know, yeah. we're still trying to figure out what we're going to do. Um, James has been in touch with the with the uh, admin, and right now there's nothing. The kids can go and run around, and that's it. We were hoping that you know James or myself could go, you know, social distance and say, hey, do this drill, you know, do that drill. You know, not touch the ball, not do anything, but they won't let anyone on campus. So, which is, you know, which is so we're organizing some Zoom, you know, we're going to organize some Zoom calls and I'll talk to some of the backs, some of the senior backs, and I'll say, okay, here are the drills you've got to run through. You know, half hour of this, half hour of that, and then, you know, go off, play some touch, you know, do some other stuff. You know? Yeah, so, we got to do what we can at this point, you know. And uh, but, it's, it's unfortunate, but like, like, uh, you know, eventually we'll all be getting back on the field. Um, I'm hoping like platforms like this one is just, you know, helping, helping people at least talk about rugby, think about rugby. And, you know, there's so, there's so much information out there. It, it's hard to, to yeah. do unless you're actually on the field. I mean, you could go on YouTube and look at, you know, thousands of, of rugby skills and, you know, everyone's yeah. got a tutorial, but it's, it's not, as you know, it's not the same actually having a ball in your hand and, and the guys and being out there and actually exactly yeah, yeah. so so uh, and, listen yeah you know, I, I I don't want to you know I don't want to be too critical of the administration because I know they're doing the best that they can right I just I just sometimes feel we get sidetracked on certain things that you know might be what we think is right but you know losing sight of what we're trying to do here you know yeah. Our goal should be, our goal should be to get the men's team, you know, the men's 15 team into the top 10 and get the, uh, the women's team challenging for the, for the World Cup, you know, that's where we should, that's, that's the goal we should set. And we should say within, you know, within 10 years, you know, which is when you have a 14 year old, there are thousands of 14 year old kids playing rugby right now, boys and girls. They will be 24 years old. How do we make them the best rugby players that they can possibly be? How do we set it up so that, you know, every step of the way, they've got somewhere to practice, they've got a mentor, they've got somebody to help, they've got, you know, interaction with their parents, because that I think is something that I never really thought about, you know, when I was growing up, I went to rugby. My parents didn't know anything about what was going on. Right. But I'm finding, I'm finding that the American parents that I've met 
are 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 excited. They're right. they're. I was I was talking to a to a gal. Her daughter was playing for Harvey, and she's like, my daughter came back from Spain from a from a um, from a exchange, and she played a little rugby in Spain. And she yeah. goes, I want to play rugby, and the the mom's like. What the fuck? <laughs> and I was like, no idea. Right, so, but that's how it happens, right? Shows, that's yeah, and the door shows it. It's but I, 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 I see. I didn't have much to do with the girls' team at Harvey, but I was, I was at one game, and there's Marie. She's, she's getting the, she's getting all the food together. She's, you know, getting everything set for the after match right. function, and right, you know, right. she was. She was there. She was at every game. She was yeah. enthusiastic. And, and I think that's the other thing that, you know, sometimes, and I'm realizing that the parents are just as important, you know, with these kids, you know, to, to, particularly when they're, when they're better kids too, you know, that, but that's a sort of different discussion. But just at that, at that early stages, you know, as a coach at Harvard, I, I never stood in the uh, I, I would get I would get thrown out every game if they actually enforced that rule you know staying in the box I would always walk around because I like to get perspective from everywhere and Harvey yeah. has a big uh, has a big um, slope on one side so you kind of get a, you can look down on it but I would always go talk to the parents I knew each one of the, the dads and the moms that would come yeah. you know and I would just say thank you for letting your sons come out and I swear I, I, I don't know this but I'm pretty sure that not many coaches do that, you know, that they just kind of expect these kids to turn up, but get to know the parents, get to, you know, to interact with them. And I'm I'm sure someone's going to come back. Well, I do that, but I'm encouraging all high school coaches, you know, to, to, to talk to the parents, you know, just casual conversation, invite them to, you know, you know, I know that they get involved in things like the rose ceremony, the seniors, you know, when they do that sort of, you know, they present the roses and that, but from the, from the very, cause I know, you know, my, my, my coach at Harvey, he was very much, and he taught this, what he taught me. He taught me, this is one of the most important things, you know, yeah. aside of just teaching these boys how to play rugby, it's to, to talk to their parents, to you know, answer their questions, to explain to them what's going on. Yeah. You know, maybe spend five minutes just talking to them about, you know, little Johnny getting his head knocked off, you know, <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know, and and also you know and also tell them I mean because because the, the the worst thing that can happen in rugby is is you know the kid can go home with five stitches in the top of his head and blood flowing everywhere <laughs> you know and just let them know that you know like hockey you know these things can football these things can happen you know don't try and sugarcoat it you know I I, I never forget I said to the boys once I said you are not allowed to repeat this to your parents but you are going to get hurt playing rugby. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you might get hurt There's seriously, no now. Yeah. you're going to get hurt, you know, it's going to hurt. It's so, going to happen. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I am living testament to that, you know, right. I've had, uh, I, I was eight years old and I broke my collarbone, you know, I got, oh, I got, a, I got a spear tackle, I got a spear tackle and broke my right. collarbone, you know, that was my first injury. And, yeah, but you didn't stop playing, so that says something. You know, yeah, I, didn't stop you know, so I, I agree with you. I think I think uh, part of the formula for moving this sport forward is definitely getting more parent involvement. You see it in other sports, and I think you need yeah. to get them to buy in as well. And I think that that has a huge ripple effect on the rugby community. Um, and I think yeah. that sets up future generations, you know. Um, but listen, Nick, I want to be respectful of your time. We touched on a lot of stuff. 
I, I didn't honestly, to be honest, I didn't realize how 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 much wealth, how much. I mean, I knew you had a lot of rugby experience, but I didn't know like literally encircled the globe. So I, I really enjoyed well, it. I've had with you. I just have so much information. I I, I, I appreciate the opportunity. You know, I've I've always been a little. You know, I I I always when I was when I was playing senior rugby, I was a little cocky. You know. Um, some of it was because I was in Australia playing top level, you know, in Canada and, and, and it's a different, you know, it's a different sort of thing there. But I just, you know, I wish I, I kind of grown up a little bit more, um, a little earlier in rugby, you know, it kind of came a little bit later for me. And, you know, I think I could have achieved a little bit more. And that's, that's one of the things in rugby and I'll freely admit it, you know, if you, you know, team players, you know, being a good team player, supporting your teammates, you know, and, and doing everything yourself as an individual is, is, is just as important as when you're out there on the field, you know, the way you conduct yourself and, right. you know, and, and I think that, you know, being respectful of your coaches, being respectful of your parents and, and rugby does teach you that. And it, it, it took a little longer for me to realize that, you know, to sort of, to, you know, to, you know, my, my, my early twenties, you know, it's, it, was a, it was a little bit, it was a little bit tough at times for me. Um, you know, and I think, you know, the other thing too is you, you, you never really know. I mean, you know, as I said, my parents are divorced when I was 16, you know, which is a traumatic experience in itself. And, you know, I was, I was very independent. Um, you know, I didn't rely on other people for anything and, you know, and, and, and I think that eventually, and some of the people I met, you know, along the way in, in, in Australia and Canada, you know, and, and the States. And I think the, the rugby community as a whole is a phenomenal, you know, an absolutely phenomenal worldwide community. You know, you can go anywhere in the world. You know, I, 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 we didn't even, I didn't even get to tell that story. I, I turned up in Singapore. I had a visit on the way to Australia and then I had a visit on the way back. So I was out running at you know four a.m. because the, uh, the the jet lag was there, and I ran into the Singapore Cricket Club. So I walked over, and on the front door of the Singapore Cricket Club was the rugby practice schedule, and I just happened to be in Singapore two weeks later when they had practice. So I practiced with the guys for two hours, and then I drank with them for six. You know, <laughs> thirty guys never met before. I turn right. up, I played. Jesus, they they you know Singapore's humidity is you know one hundred and twenty. You know, right. that's what I'm saying. I mean, those are the those are the beautiful things about rugby, and the things Absolutely. that I would agree. that some Americans don't get to experience because right. you know maybe their club goes in tours, and I've seen some phenomenal tours. I know Danbury, I think, went to Ireland at one point. You right. know, and and I know you know, but I think more of the UK teams come here, you know, than the American teams go overseas. It's a little tougher. You know, it's a little tougher to do that, but right. we need to figure out a way just to uh, to get more because you learn it later in life. You know, as you you, you know, you're running to my orthopedic surgeon. He played rugby. You know, Absolutely. I ran into a, I ran into a guy, a parent of uh, a girl in town last week, and he played rugby at New Pulse and has a VHS tape of a New Pulse versus Marist. University game from my like, eighties. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so, <laughs> I know. I, mean, I, you know, I used to watch games on VHS. I mean, that's. Well, they they had that. You know, they had the big. Uh, oh the yeah, big, uh, yeah, thing. I know. And I said the boys at Marist would get such a kick out of that. 
watching their, you know, watching the original teams, you know. They won't even know what a VHS HS tape is. <laughs> well, they would, yeah. We'd have to, I think, you know, I got to get in touch with him. I, I didn't get his details, but that's he was funny. Uh, he's, yeah. he's friends with a friend of mine, so we got to get in touch. But that's it. I mean, that's the beauty of rugby, the beauty of the relationships that you make. I mean, you know, two of my best friends, unfortunately, they, you know, one lives in New Mexico or now is touring the world working for the government. And the other one lives in California, and I don't get to see him much. But, you know, I love these guys. They're, you know, they're, they're great friends. We're trying to organize a Zoom call this weekend yeah. with, a, with a couple of old rugby buddies, you know. So it really, is, it really is, a, you know, a, 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 a sport that, like no other in this world, you know, like, there's no other sport like rugby where you have that brotherhood till the day you die. You know, right. and yeah. you know, I know at my funeral, you know, there'll, there'll, there'll be a few rugby players, and they'll probably throw a rugby ball. But I, I, I sometimes think too. I mean, it's been so long since I played; it's kind of like a different world now. And we yeah. never, you know, we, we, that was one thing I did want to, you know, we we could talk about that at a different time. But you know, the difference in sevens rugby, you know, with the tackling now, I, I win a whole sevens tournament, never got tackled. <laughs> you know, so, that was right. my goal. You know, I don't want to get tackled. I'd either throw it, I'd either pass it, kick it, or score a try. No one can tackle me. You know, so, right. but yeah, that's it. So, hey, Rob, I really appreciate it. It's great to talk about it. You know, we could we could go on for hours and absolutely. You know, maybe. Some final thoughts on my interview. Nick spoke about his origins of the sport in Australia, traveling and playing at an elite level in Canada. He also stressed how the rugby community helped him in his progression from being a player to coaching. Nick stressed that teaching and refining the basics at any level is a formula for success. I want to thank Nick for his time and sharing his experiences and expertise on our growing sport. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for more episodes on rugby, jiu-jitsu, and everything and anything in between.